Thank y'all for joining us. We are back with another lesson from the life of Elijah. God's mercy, God's grace, God's compassion, God's forgiveness as it's displayed uh, through Elijah. And so we're in 1 Kings chapter 18 today. Yeah, and just to give you a quick background on um, what we've been looking at, we started in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, uh, what, like three weeks mm -hmm. ago, four yep. weeks ago. And that was when Elijah announced this drought that was going to come. Um, King Ahab was... It, as the Bible says, one of the worst kings ever. And he had a compadre, his wife, Jezebel, which kind of accented his um, disdain for the crowd. But here Elijah is going to announce to Ahab about this drought that's coming. And then Elijah leaves the scene and goes out into the um, caves and he's fed by ravens. And then a few I don't know, however long later, it just mm -hmm. says sometime later, he goes to live with a widow at Zarephath. While he's there, um, the widow feeds him. Her last, what she thought was her last dropping of flour and, and oil mixed together to make a bread cake. And then later on, her son passes away and Elijah prays over him and he's raised back to life. And then we get into chapter 18. And we skip, we're going to skip down to verse 20. But in the meantime, Elijah leaves the widow and he goes and finds Obadiah, which is a, another prophet that has worked for Ahab. And that, that's one thing I found very interesting in this is that Obadiah was a follower of God, of Jehovah. However, he worked for Ahab, which is a terrible king. Um, it is possible to work yeah. for bosses or people over you that may not be following the one true God that um, that you do. It is it is possible. And as he's telling um, Obadiah, he sees him. Uh, Ahab has went one way looking for some water. Uh, Obadiah he sent to look in a different way for some water. And here comes Elijah and presents himself to Obadiah and he says, "Hey." Go back to Ahab, your leader, and tell him that you found me, that you've seen me, and that I want to meet with him. And Obadiah's like, are you pronouncing a death sentence on me? What are you thinking? So he does. He goes and finds Elijah. And actually, we're going to see today what happens when um, Elijah presents himself to Ahab. Yeah, and this is probably, when you start talking about Elijah, this is a story everybody knows. Elijah on the mountaintop, fire coming down from God, um, all the prophets of Baal, Elijah mocking them. This is the story I remember from being a kid. This is a story that most of you will probably remember. But as we go through it, I know there's kind of the tendency to say, that's weird, that happened back then doesn't happen to us. We, we don't act like that. We don't stand on the side of a mountaintop and call down fire. Um, except we cannot, we, we do. Um, and so I would challenge you to put yourself in this story and think of ways that you communicate with others, whether it's at work, um, where you just refuse to communicate with a certain group of people, or maybe it's through social media where you, you or you have seen others show a lot of disdain or disgust for other people. And it's this whole flex of, I'm going to prove that my God is bigger than your God type thing. And so when you begin to see our lives in that way, I think you can see that to some degree we all have, um, what happened on this mountainside is something that we replay in our minds constantly uh, in the way that we act and behave. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 20 
uh, as Christy was talking about just a minute ago. Okay. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. When we do this, when we start talking about who is God, and once again we get into this idea of well, these were just you know really dumb pagan people, and they didn't know anything. Uh, that's not true. Um, Baal was literally the harvest god, the god of the waters. The god, by the way, he was the god of the waters. And Elijah proclaims this ain't gonna rain for three years. So this is this is God flexing His power, if you will over the supposed God of the waters. Um, and so as we do this, I want you to just think for a minute before we get too far into this story of the ways we've done that. Uh, because, you know, the first thing we go to the Ten Commandments and say, oh, that's, that, they violated the commandment of God. Thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Uh, but I violated that commandment. Um, I violated it with the money that's spent in my wallet. I violated it with the idea that I could produce enough money to satisfy my needs or desires. Um, I violated it by multiple, multiple times. And so I want us to see ourselves in this story and not dismiss ourselves and pretend like this is just a bunch of pagans on the top of a mountain having, you know, a, a ceremony that we can't understand. And so, uh, but Elijah has a challenge and he basically says, there's this group and then there's the Lord God and you have to decide. And the interesting thing is the people didn't say anything. And you know why they didn't say anything? You know, they wanted to know who's going to win. <laughs> Don't tell me who I, you know, they basically were just saying, show me the most powerful one. I'll pledge my allegiance to him because then I get what I want out of it. I mean, that seems to be the kind of read I get off of it. So. Yeah, um, I like how Daniel pointed that out, and I'll get, I'll get there too with my thought on the, the people said nothing. But Ahab, kind of backing this up a second, um, Obadiah went to Ahab and he's like, okay, sure, you know, I'll meet with Elijah. And then he, he meets him and he says, oh, here you are, Elijah. You've caused all this trouble when actually we all know it was Ahab who had caused the trouble because he had allowed all these other gods to dominate. And so um, God had allowed this to happen, this drought to happen. So that's how he greeted Elijah. So Ahab told his people, throughout all of Israel to get together just as Elijah had told him hey let's have like a, a duel kind of thing with our gods um, let's meet up so Ahab sent word he, he could have taken Elijah's life right then but I think he was thinking let's see how this plays mm -hmm. out you know so Elijah went before the people and he said how, how long are you going to waver between these two opinions um, some of the commentaries I had read behind said that where they were actually at was in the middle of Israel and, I forgot, is it Sidon? So, um, yeah. Wherever they are. Yeah. Um, they were in the middle. And so, you know, just kind of like in, in the middle of the um, of the road. And if, you've, if we've looked at Revelation last time, we looked at the lukewarm church. This is kind of like how mm -hmm. they were. Um, just playing both sides here. They probably knew that God was the one true God, but they were also you know, kind of going into the world a little bit. So he's saying, how long are you going to do this back and forth here? Um, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, okay, follow him. Don't be wishy-washy. And they said nothing. And it just made me think of 
when you get onto a kid about their room or something and it's quite obvious that they've had a mess, sometimes they just stare at you. Like they're not going to argue with you because they know that they've not done the right thing. So they're just be like, <laughs> yeah, okay. So I, that's just kind of the picture that came to mind. The, the people looked at him and they didn't say a word. They didn't try to argue out of their situation or tell him why that why they were following Baal or not God. They just kind of stared at him. Yes, and you know, I'm, what I'm going to say next is just pure conjecture on my part, but it has a, a basis in history of the Israelites and even go all the way back to Aaron. Um, remember, Aaron was Moses' brother. And Moses goes up on the mountain to hear from God. And the people get really restless and they're frustrated because of this guy that's led us out. This guy who has been there in front of God. And I mean, they've seen God's works. They've seen all these things, but they get bored and they get frustrated. And they told Aaron, you know, basically you need to do something. And so Aaron takes and he forms a golden calf. And we know that story. Uh, and Aaron, the follower of God, mutilates the idea of God for his own personal gain and for his own personal power. Moses comes down off the mountain, destroys it. You know, Aaron keeps his position. And I said all that to say this because in verse 20, there's a really weird statement. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Who are the prophets? You say, well, you know, they're the prophets of Baal. But where did they come from? They came from the prophets of God. More than likely, they came from the Levites who were supposed to be in charge of caring for the temple and all those things, that's where they came from. I would assume that because it's not like all of a sudden Jezebel imports 450 prophets from Sidon, uh, from her dad's place. Uh, what they did is the followers of God became followers of Baal because it was a self-empowerment, self-fulfilling thing for them. Just like Aaron on the side of Mount Sinai who'd seen God do all these things. And he probably, Aaron probably thought what he was doing was harmless. He's like, if I give them this shape, it's going to keep the people rallied around it. And they're going to be okay. And you can just imagine maybe some of these prophets of Baal thinking, you know what, our people are so discouraged or so upset. You know, if we let them have these ceremonies and we let them go to these events and we, we encourage this, uh, then they're going to be okay and we're going to help them out. So... Anyways, that's just a challenge here to think about where did those people come from. Uh, and there's a reason why Elijah has such a problem with them. And by the way, if you go read the story about Obadiah, like Christy was talking about earlier, so there's 450 here, okay, of these prophets. And Obadiah had saved the lives of 100. And he put them in two different caves and in groups of 50s and had fed them. So where, where did those 100 come from? Well, they were the 100 who refused to go along with the 450. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing that, that he just pointed out. Obadiah's working under Ahab, and Jezebel has, in, she sent out this decree that she wants all the prophets killed, especially the ones who aren't following Baal. So Obadiah hides them. He's still working for Ahab, but he's still doing the right mm -hmm. thing with preserving their lives. And there's that one, one account in chapter 18, if you're listening to it, it's really cool, and um, Ahab says, hey, Obadiah, let's try to get these cows and I think uh, something about the livestock. Let's try to preserve them. But at the same time, Jezebel's trying to kill the men. So he's wanting to preserve the animals yeah. and his wife's trying to kill all the prophets. So 
anyway, there's a lot of underlying stuff there you can you can even get into if you're you know reading it morally or whatever. Um, just human humanistic, not even looking at the fact of you know this being prophets of God. Yeah, and understanding too that everything as we continue to read on here, but everything that we read here, um, everything that has an impact on our culture had an impact on their culture, economics power struggles, political parties, I mean, allegiances. I mean, these people have the same things. Yeah. That's why they're doing what they're doing. So they're pledging their allegiance because they think it's going to benefit them. They, they, most of them probably don't think they're rejecting God. They think they're following God in their own way. And that's why it's, I think it's interesting about the prophets. And I don't want to get too far off on that again because I'll, I'll wreck this car. But um, So we're going to move on to verses 22 through 26 with Elijah's confrontation with these prophets. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. You want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm. So just back on up to verse 22 here. There are a few um, places I underlined just so I would remember to go back to him. Said Elijah said to him, I'm only one of the Lord's prophets left. And like Daniel said, you know, there were some hidden in the cave. I don't know if... There was no account if Jezebel had gotten to them and taken their lives or if they were just still hiding and they were, maybe he was saying he's the only one actually mm -hmm. physically present at that point. We're not sure exactly what that, what that is, but, but right here, he's the only one at this altar is what he's saying. And there's 450 prophets of them. So there's, he's going to call out. We'll see later on. And if you've read the story, you know it. There's one versus 450. So sometimes we get caught up with numbers. There's, oh, we've got to have this many, and we need this many to do this. But in essence, you don't. Because, yes, there are strength in numbers, but God only needs one faithful person to follow him in order to fulfill his plan and desire. So um, whereas there are strength in numbers, you don't have to have numbers in order to get the job done. Um, another thing I wanted to point out, I'm trying to see what verse it is, 24. Um, no, backing up. He says, get two bulls ready. And he tells them to pick which bull they want and let him just have what's left. Um, that, to me, is just another picture of Elijah's character. He doesn't have to pick the best one. He, he's letting them take the first shot the first chance um that was just to me a picture of his character and then he took the other one and the other thing in in verse 24 is just the wording of it i thought it was really neat he says then you call on the name of your god which everybody knows is baal 
He, but he didn't say it. He just said, you call him your God. And then he said, I will call on the name of the Lord. He doesn't use my. Hmm. A lot of times we want to be like, well, my God's going to do mm-hmm. this and my God's going to do that. And, and he is your God. But Elijah's character and the way he just so gracefully does things and says things is just, to me, he's so humble. And he said, I'll call on the name of the Lord. He just continually puts all the credit back on God, just like he did when he um, brought the kid down, the little boy down to his mom. He never took credit for that. He just always gives it back to God. Yeah. That's a that's a really good observation there of how Elijah uh, treats God and how he views God. Um, I contrast that with Joshua. You know, he's getting ready to lead the first battle of the Israelites, and he sees you know basically this angelic being, and Joshua's like pulls his sword. He's like, "Are you on my side or are you against me?" And it's God, and God says back to him, "Bro, you need to check yourself. The question is whether or not you're on my side." And Elijah's demonstrating that humility that God has already showed us in Scripture that we're supposed to have. And that, once again, let's go back and where are we at in this scenario? I mean, sometimes we are ready, we are ready to sick our God on everybody. Um, you know, we're ready for God, and we even say it, we're ready for God to pour down fire from heaven and all sorts of things that are self-serving. They're self-serving, and so... When we look at this thing, we look at this scenario, we look at, we imagine 450 prophets dancing around. We say, how could they be so foolish? What, I mean, come on, these people were just drunk. They were on drugs. They were something. I mean, these, this isn't normal. Um, well, actually it is uh, for us as humans because what we do is we promote ourselves and then we promote those who promote us and those that promote them are the ones that they promote. And we begin this circular tornado type destruction destructive pattern to the point that there's 450 people dancing around a a pit basically begging for fire to come down uh we do that in in our politics we do that in our religious groups we do that uh in our economics um we do that in our relationships you know we don't listen to the people that tell us that we have a problem we listen to the people that tell us that the others have a problem and you know this is a circular path of destruction and 450 start dancing around this this fire and, you know, it's, it's, it's ugly. It's ugly. But here's the thing. Don't miss this. It's in verse, uh, verse 24. You know what the people of Israel said? That's a good plan. That's a good plan. We want to see whichever God can flex the biggest. I mean, that, we, we're all about that. And uh, this is a reminder of contrasting, as Christy just pointed out, Elijah's humility with the arrogance of the Israelites. First of all, they're not gonna respond. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you as a parent, when, when you say that to the kid, hey, why isn't your room clean? And they do that dumb, you know, not, not they're dumb, but that I don't know look, they know why. They just don't wanna tell on themselves. They, they, they don't wanna admit that they just didn't do it. Well, that's what Elijah did and they go quiet. And now Elijah's like, all right, we're gonna see which guy's the biggest and the strongest. And they're like, Sounded like a good plan to me, because it's all about them, which is what brought them to this point in the in the first place. And uh, you know, Ahab come along and said, "There's a better, bigger God, and if you do this, he'll he'll bless you." And I'm like, "Well, shoot, that's the guy we got to go with." And so, man, this is such a picture of the way I can get drawn into things. Um, and I just wonder how many times I've found myself dancing around a 
cut up a bull on an altar, you know, praying for fire from heaven. So yeah, the the crowd is a dangerous place to be mm -hmm. because you can you're just there. You're just existing. You're yeah. cheering each other on. You've got to like Daniel said, you promote them, they promote you, you promote them, they promote you, and you just live in this circle, this big fantasy. Whereas you could be seeking out the one true God and standing alone, which is not fun and hard to do, um, and keeping your mouth shut and just kind of standing in the background. And it's it's not always the easiest thing to, to not join in the crowd and who raw this and who raw that? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to move to the next passage, and it's quite a lengthy passage. It's nine verses, um, and it, it details what Elijah does and how he does it, and then God's work there. So, um, did you have anything else? On that no, too? we we are going to skip a few verses. Yeah. So, I just I do challenge you read read First Kings seventeen and eighteen, or hit play on you version. Um, they're really interesting, especially when you just read them consecutively. Um, so, we're going to pick up in verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it long enough to hold two shehaws of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the wool into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and the wood. Do it again, and he said, and they, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Israel, and Isaac, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, He is God. Um, wow. A, a ton of Elijah, yes, calls down fire from heaven, fire from heaven, and God sends the fire. And we get, I, rightly so, it's kind of a wow thing. Um, but Elijah lays the pattern here, and this is a challenge for us. Elijah lays a pattern here with a lot of symbolism. And what he is doing to every Israelite that is there is reminding them that there has always been a different way. Uh, and let me just point out just a few quick things that he did. He took 12 stones, representative of the 12 tribes that God brought up out of Egypt. They would have all known that. He called them Israel. It's a reminder that they are God's people chosen, ordained. They are the people of God. Um, he builds this altar. He calls the altar. He seals it in God's name. Uh, then he takes, and when he prays, well, when he prays, he does a couple things there. He does it at the time of the evening sacrifice. 
They would have all known this. They would have known about it. They would have heard about it. It was at 6 o'clock in the evening. That's the evening sacrifice. That's the point in time Elijah steps forward. So he's, he's pointing them back to the presence of God. He's pointing them back to God's presence when he brought them out of Egypt, God's presence, and, and then he begins to remind them of the temple. Then he points them to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob. He's pointing them back to their, their the fathers of their faith, the fathers of their country, their nation. And he is just he's using a ton of symbolism. Yes, the fire was going to come down, and yes, everybody's going to talk about the fire, but I believe that Elijah is laying the foundation there for people to walk away and say, we knew there was a different way. We knew there was a different way. Um, and by the way, we get that, and I'm, I'm going to stop after this. We get that in the person of Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despise you. Jesus lays for us a foundation, a whole different way of doing things that reminds us that, yes, there is another way. Yeah, I think I actually was going to point that out, too. Um, in Sunday school, when you're a little kid, you you do. It's really cool. You get caught up in the fact that there's there's water, and the fire licked all the water up mm -hmm. and drained it up. And those are great, those, especially for kids. Those are great pictures. But sometimes we miss these other verses, like verse 31. Remember, there's 12 stones for each tribe, but these people are divided right now. Mm -hmm. There's 10 tribes, and then there's two that pulled, yep. pull, pulled away. He doesn't leave the two out that pulled mm -hmm. away. He, just like yeah. Jesus broke the bread and gave it to Judas yeah. at Absolutely. the Last Supper, just like he was one, but he knew Judas was going to betray Jesus. Yeah. There's Elijah does the same thing here. He doesn't, be, he doesn't um, belittle the two tribes and like, oh, we're just not going to even talk about them because they left us. Um, we do that as humans. So he... He does that, and I can even imagine, like, the symbolism. He's probably, because he has such an intimate relationship with, with God, he's probably thinking of these tribes and maybe even calling them out as he's laying the stones down. So he's doing this, and then he said to him, uh, where's that verse, 33. Um, I wanted to point out this, too. He told the people, do this, do that, do this. It's almost like he's the king here because they're doing what he asked him to do and he has no authority to, to have this happen. You know, normally they would be bowing down to Jezebel because, you know, she could have their, her head at any time. But these people are like, like in awe of what, what is happening here um, with expectation, I think. And he says it again. They do it again. They just keep doing whatever he says. Um, but... The, the one thing I wanted to point out that Daniel did as well was that Elijah, there's just so much unity with with what he's doing and not division. He's not, he, he did, actually we skipped over some of those verses. <laughs> um, he mocks them because they're cutting themselves. They, yeah. they're, and you got to give them credit. I mean, they're really yeah. devout. They're, they're pretty devoted to Baal because if you're going to cut yourself and scream and wail and you really think he's going to answer you at this point, and he's kind of like, oh, maybe you should do it louder, cut yourself harder. Um, so, you know, he's mocking them. But he never, at this point, maybe he didn't, it's not recorded, he doesn't mock the people right here for not yeah. um, devoting themselves to God. Yeah, and there's some other things. Uh, one of the things is a reminder that 
one of the reasons they weren't worshiping at the temple is that the northern kingdom, um, or sorry, the southern kingdom, King Jeroboam had forbid the ten tribes. Once they had separated, Jeroboam forbid the ten tribes from coming down and continuing their worship. This had happened, I think, about 50 to 75 years prior. Um, and so in that, Elijah's condemning the other king. I mean, there's so much happening here. And it's just, and this is the reminder for us that doing what God's called us to do, being compassionate, being empathetic, being loving, being and serving. I mean, Christy mentioned that Jesus at the table with Judas. From every account of scripture, we also know that Jesus more than likely washed Judas's feet, served Judas the food, literally said, I'm about to give the food to the guy who's going to betray me. That was an honoring, and he gave it to him. Um, and, and just the inclusion that God has, and, and the water is a symbol of all the times they were in the desert and God provided for them. And they, and they had a, a, a feast where they were actually pour water on the altar and Elijah's like, this is that feast. This is a culmination of all the feasts of Israel. You know, pour the water out. And God is a consuming fire. And this fire comes from heaven and, and, and everything is gone um, because of God's presence. And it's a reminder of God present in the temple and, and it's, it's being in the Holy of Holies. And, and it is a reminder to me how many times I settle for a flash in the pan proof of God's reality um, instead of just trusting in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob the God who took him through the Red Sea and on and on and on um, and he's the God who's present now yeah and Elijah kind of left the scene three years ago so he's been very very quiet for three years now and had a lot of alone time with God um, I, would, I would imagine and just to be able to come back to the scene and this to happen. Also, if your mind works like mine, you're thinking they're going through a drought. And here, he's asking mm -hmm. them to put water yeah. in there. What yeah. happens when you pour water on the dirt? It's gross. You can't drink it anymore. Yeah. So they've taken their water and pouring it. I think they were like, this better, this better happen. Yeah, Elijah was really, I mean, he was, he was laying himself out there. Um, and, and not in a, I'm going to prove God is real, but God is going to magnify himself. Um, and, and, and Christy pointed that out so well, and I just encourage us. We read Elijah, and we think of this guy who goes around shaking his fist in everybody's face. Um, and he does. I mean, he's a strong guy. But when he represents God, he represents, represents him in a lot of humility uh, in the way he sees himself. Even go back to him praying for the child. Um, you know, there's a lot of humility that he puts on display there as a reminder that it is God who's faithful and not Elijah who is this supernatural being. So. It is. Next week, let me go ahead and, and look and see what we'll be looking at. Um, I know it's about Elijah again, but it'll be First Kings 19. Um, yeah. Don't let discouragement keep you from serving. Yeah, Elijah crashes. You know, has a, has a great moment here and uh probably like the rest of us you have a great moment you wake up the next day and guess what you gotta do same stuff you did the day before and uh elijah becomes very discouraged so we'll see god's faithfulness in that thank y'all for joining us